Sit back in your seats, get something to eat, and watch this movie. Don't let the kids see it, because, well, let, let, we'll let you hear the, the um, video first. Thank you. Alright. Alright, this week on Left of the Projector, the moment has finally come. We are going to discuss a Marvel movie, but I cannot bring myself to call it a film. And uh, the one that we've chosen this week is Iron Man 2, which came out in 2010, grossing a whopping $610 million on a $200 million budget. Has an all-star cast, Robert Downey Jr., Gwyneth Paltrow, Don Cheadle, Scarlett Johansson, Sam Rockwell, and Mickey Rourke. And this is actually the third installment in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or MCU. It was actually greenlit during the run for Iron Man 2 in the theater. So they already were ready to go for uh, Iron Man 2. And this week, my guest is Prez, one of the co-hosts of the Mignon podcast, which I actually only discovered a few months ago, specifically your episode on the uh, birthright um, trip, and it really hit home for me. And the, uh, the Mignon is a Jewish Marxist Leninist podcast advocating anti-Zionism, anti-imperialism through analyzing Jewish history, culture, and current events. Thank you for joining me today, Prez. Hello. You have the, uh, the one who's hasn't done all of the, the real religious stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> you don't have the full cast here. Um, but I'm glad to be here. Uh, yeah. Do you want to mention anything else about your podcast? Any yeah, other, uh... we have a little bit of, of life events going on the last few months, so our output's a little slow, but we have some stuff down the pipeline that's currently being edited, so hopefully the new year will turn around and we'll have a whole bunch of stuff coming out. Um, but yeah, we do a lot of stuff on Zionism, so if you're interested in what's been going on, uh, we have a lot about the background on like how Zionism has uh, kind of taken the idea of what Judaism is uh, as a project and as a thing and turned it into like Zionism equals Judaism. So if that's something you've been kind of uh, trying to grapple with, we have an episode on that. I think it's our 15th episode, um, the Exodus episode, we like to call it. Um, yeah, and we're currently doing a whole fascism series. Uh, so we're checking a whole bunch of stuff out. As I mentioned this week, we're talking about something maybe a little less serious, and that's the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And just as a very quick background on, for anyone who's been living in a hole for the past uh, 20 years and isn't aware, Marvel has built this massive cinematic universe with over 30 films, over 15 TV shows. And it's interesting how kind of Marvel got its start as more of a licensing thing. They would license out Blade and Spider-Man, X-Men, until they finally realized when they purchased back some of the rights to Iron Man and Hulk that they would start making their own movies. And it, as a, from a money-making standpoint, they made the right decision. And as I'm sure we'll get into, the Iron Man franchise has heavy involvement from the U.S. military, the influence on the script, especially Iron Man, the first installment. bringing oh this, Yeah. It's real bad. It's, it is uh, uh, brutal. For anyone who doesn't know, you can kind of check this out and I'll put some links in. But they essentially changed the entire plot of Iron Man where Tony Stark went from kind of a pacifist rebelling against his company to essentially just taking it on full throttle. And 
really Marvel has influenced kind of the superhero genre in the post 9-11 world. And movies like Iron Man 2 really kind of brought that sea change of military and superheroes and kind of the idea of American exceptionalism in these kinds of movies. And I think what maybe, maybe I'll get your impressions after this is I think what makes Iron Man a different than some of the superhero movies before and certainly some after is that it really was more of like a a light comedy that kind of had superheroes in kind of the background. And I get that it's kind of early in their, in their universe of creating all these, but it really was bringing in Robert Downey Jr. to be this kind of sarcastic, funny egomaniac who had a company that built weapons. And there isn't a lot of action in this movie. And I, I don't know, uh, like maybe I'll throw it to you, Prez. What, what do you, you said this movie kind of haunts you. If I might uh, mention how you said this before we came on, what is uh, your, memory or impressions of this so i've watched this movie a little too much and <laughs> i've i've i in my letterbox it has a, a whopping half a star with the review of just the word jesus on it <laughs> <laughs> and um more seriously it's actually very interesting because iron man one tried to be this like kind of gritty superhero meets Middle Eastern. We're going to go kill some Arabs in Tajikistan, Afghanistan, generic Middle East country. Um, and then it pivots to now we have this spooky Russian villain in Iron Man 2. And it kind of then expands to the rest of the wider MCU universe after this to being just like, uh, we have this, and this is just comic books in general. Like we have this, mishmash of orientalist tropes for all of our villains um so this isn't this part's not really the movie's fault but like you definitely see the switch from iron man one to from being like definitely a not post 9-11 war kind of movie um where iron man one was literally tony stark became iron man from being in the war zone to now just a globe-trotting elon musk wannabe playboy Yep. Um, who is also in Iron Man too, by the way. Oh yes. Did you catch that yes. cameo? Oh yes. Yeah, we we will definitely get to that. I, I have some. Well, we'll we'll get to that too. And I have some other thoughts, not just on the Elon Musk, but just how that cameo kind of works. But I, I think you're you're spot on with the fact that the first movie very much was kind of like let's find a way to support and promote how the war in Afghanistan is actually good. And moving it to slowly, you know, then you get the to jump to the very end of the of not the movie, but the credit scene, which Marvel kind of adopted in all of its movies is you have the Thor hammer. So I think they immediately are now realizing what they have. They're going to expand the universe. They're going to go off world, whereas the first movie is Afghanistan and this movie, it's Russia, kind of an extension of Cold War kind of propaganda. And really, the, the movie is not complex even the first one isn't really complex. It's kind of a, a straightforward action arc, if you will. Yeah, and straightforward action comic book movies are totally fine. The, the, the reason Iron Man 2 haunts me is because there's multiple elements in this that are just completely deep-seated evil. And I don't know if you picked up on it, but did you notice anything... In the uh, congressional, so Tony Stark, like it opens with Tony Stark in like a congressional hearing, kind of like that's some of the first scenes, the first like 20 minutes. 
Yeah, he's he's revealing that he is Iron Man. He, he is know, Iron Man. It rever- goes to the world. Was there anything in that scene that like stuck out to you? To, to answer like your to, the question, the the hearing portion was very strange, and the way the kind of the message that I got, or it, maybe they're trying to impart upon us, is well, for one, that Iron they, they want Iron Man's suit. That he has this great technology. And the U.S. does not like not having the greatest and best technology to, quote unquote, protect the world from, you know, terrorism and not being the sole hegemon of, uh, you know, America. So it very much was, how can we impart to you that we own the military contractors? And that also brings in the other military contractor in this hammer. It's creepy and very... It's honestly like how this would actually go in, in if this were like a real life scenario. It's creepy and it ends with Tony Stark like walking out with the the audience supposed to clap when he literally says, I've privatized the military, yeah. uh, which which like haunts me to my core that that is like a, a good message that comes out of that movie where he he says, I'm not giving you my suit because I'm the military. And that's a good thing. And the guy who keeps grilling him, there's one congressman who keeps saying, like, we, the U.S. military should have the suit. Why do we have essentially a private mercenary force? It turns out in another movie that this congressman, I forget his name, is a member of that secret Nazi Hydra Society. Yep. Uh, which has an implication <laughs> to it that apparently if you're pro the military not having this like super futuristic thing and you don't want these private citizens from New Hampshire all having their own private military forces. Um, you're part of Hydra. Uh, and that of course is not in the movie that comes out later, but yeah, it's, it's just really weird implications from, from that single scene that like just leaves a very bad taste in my mouth. And also the the other actor, uh, Justin Hammer, who owns his own like competing military contractor, who's played mm-hmm. by Sam Rockwell. That that character, maybe I'll bring it up here. But so, well, maybe I'll I'll take one step back. So as you said, sort of we we learn that Iron Man or that uh, Tony Stark is Iron Man. He's letting everyone know what it is. And then you kind of flip over to Russia, where we are introduced to sort of the bad guy in this movie that is going to, it's uh, Ivan Vanko, who is the son, son of Anton Vanko, who would work with Tony Stark's father, Howard Stark, on you know their early technology of this kind of arc reactor, which comes into play in the first movie. And he's he dies and he's now taking it upon himself to avenge his father's death. And then this is where we have all of the that's kind of like the backdrop of let's set up the bad guy from Russia and come back to the government, you know, needing the fancy military. The government has to be one with the military industrial complex. And we then get to Monaco, which is ends up where Ivan decides he's going to go to trying to go after Tony Stark and Iron Man. He's building his own version of the suit. And this is where we have the the cameo you alluded to of Elon Musk meeting Tony Stark. Now, I feel like Hammer was more, to me, the embodiment of Elon Musk because he doesn't really invent anything. He doesn't actually do anything. He has to bring in other people to do all the inventions. But we also know that the idea of Tony Stark was hatched 
in part because of Elon Musk. So it's almost like there's two dueling Elon Musks in this movie and then the actual Elon Musk in this movie. And like the thing is that Elon Musk, I want to know like why they thought Elon Musk should be in the movie then because Elon Musk almost 15 years ago was not the same guy he is today. Um, So like back then he still had that kind of almost like he was still just the Tesla guy. People didn't really know him as this SpaceX military contractor, which SpaceX was a thing then, but people didn't really know it. Right. So like, why, why was he even there? (laughs) That's really what I want to know. Like, uh, it is weird to have him there. And I don't know. And what I wonder is, he obviously agreed to it. I'm sure it wasn't like his idea. And he probably was like, oh, cool. I'll be in a, in a superhero movie as this guy. And he wasn't, again, like what I would call like sort of like a, someone uh, commented to me that at this time was sort of like when liberals still kind of respected and liked Elon Musk. He didn't become this kind of guy that's more on the right and his you know, buying Twitter X and whatever. He was still kind of respectable. Yeah, this was like 2010. He wasn't this like right wing nut job caricature of a billionaire that he is now. People were still thinking that he was like the leader of the Green Revolution and all of that stuff. Yeah, because the whole like, the whole like line is he's saying, you know, a, a Tony Stark kind of compliments him on some engine he had created, presumably for the Tesla. And then he mentions like, oh, you know, maybe we could have, uh, you know, electric jets. And Tony Stark's like, yeah, you you do that. And then we'll we'll talk. Mr. Musk, how are you? Congratulations on the promotion. Thank you very much. You thank you. Those Merlin engines are fantastic. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Good idea for an electric jet. You do. Yeah. Then we'll make it work. <laughs> And so it must just be that at the time he was seen as kind of like the leader of this technology and they wanted to. It's funny to me that that actually Elon Musk would agree to it, given that Tony Stark is kind of the, well, egomaniac. These these guys are all this is Tony Stark is the hero, though. So it's not we're, we're here thinking very critically of it. But Tony Stark is the hero for most people and uh, definitely for people. Uh, who like Elon Musk, at least even in 2010. Um, so for this, this was a very good piece of self-promotion. But for me, it's like, who tipped off Elon that this movie was being made? Did Elon say, like, next time you're making an Iron Man movie, I want to be in it? Or did they say, hey, we're making this in Monaco. Are you going to be around? Yeah, um, I looked into it. I couldn't find anything to kind of like to to explain how that became i did actually read part of because it's very long as i briefly mentioned kind of at the start is that and i've mentioned this on a recent episode on this movie fat man uh which was basically written by the department of defense is that they have such a a stranglehold on these movies of writing them and you can actually find online the uh dod production assistant agreements with Iron Man, Iron Man 2, to see essentially how much they got paid, what they would offer Marvel, and what Marvel would pay them in return. And it goes pretty deep into what they would do. And so that's not necessarily related to Elon Musk, but it just shows the level of um, influence that the military has and how much they realize that they could gain from these movies. And I've again, I've talked about this in other more military-related movies, but it's it can't be left unsaid that this was a piece of propaganda in the eyes of the military. 
especially given what you mentioned, Prez, about the the scene in the in the hearing, it's it's very explicit that the United States government, and when you think to the fact that the United States government is approving this script and wanting it to be made, it means that the message is all that more obvious that it's what America sees itself as. Yeah. So like, uh, there's a scene. So one, um, there's a scene that Rhodey, who is Tony Stark's buddy, who also, this is the first movie after Terrence Howard got secretly replaced, (laughs) is now played by Don Cheadle. Yeah. Um, just got silently recast. They get into a whole slug fest, and it's like a, it's essentially a stalemate. And then the the Air Force takes the suits. Um, so like, there's that subtext going on where the the military is is still super strong, even though it's this one guy thinking he can take on the army. Um, and then also the 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 main villain, the 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 Russian guy. His whole backstory is that his dad worked for Tony Stark and built the reactor core and then wanted to sell it as part of the military industrial complex instead of just giving it to the military. And then Tony Stark's dad deported him yeah. <laughs> and right. then he got locked in a gulag. <laughs> Pretty much. And and, uh, and I think they uh, – uh, and it's cl- – I mean I mentioned it briefly because I, it very much to me feels like a – not like Russia is still like the bad guy, even though the Soviet Union had been gone for almost 20 years at the point of this. Yeah. But it's clearly in the it's 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 still in the ether that they have to kind of promote Russia bad, bad guy. And it completely ignoring the fact that, you know, he maybe he sold the money. Presumably Howard Stark might not have treated him very well, took, uh you know, given we, what we know, probably took credit for the things he did. I mean, a lot of that's not really part of this, uh, this movie at all, but I think the, 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 the guy out for revenge is like the perfect and common trope in a, in a, you know, action superhero kind of movie. So it, it kind of fits. I mean, there's, there's the whole Muppets movie with the whole gulag, Russia gulag thing <laughs> yeah. in modern day Russia or the weird, the weird Russia Soviet Union thing going on in Stranger Things. Um, oh yeah. So we're we're still very much obsessed, but like, yeah. I for whatever reason that seemed very important to the backstory that the dad had to be thrown in the gulag. I I don't know about you, but if I was running a country and my rival just gave me the guy who invented the nuclear bomb, I wouldn't jail him. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, probably not. Not a good decision. Howard Stark is not made to seem like a very good guy. Yeah. Although we'll get to the part where like he, he like has this glimpse because, you know, Tony Stark didn't have a good relationship with his father. But then we learn later that, you know, he actually did have a, you know, maybe he was just bad at telling Deep his down, son. His he had a heart. <laughs> and, gave, and literally gives Tony Stark a heart. You know, later with his uh, the element we'll get we'll mention, which a lot of the plot of this movie I, I don't I hate like using I, I use it occasionally like are like MacGuffins where they need to just kind of move the story along. But ma- the main piece too is that Tony Stark is also dying from the palladium that's in the heart that he created for himself, or to prevent his heart from from uh, getting hit with the metal shrapnel from the first Iron Man movie, and so he's constantly haunted by. His, uh, his impending death. And that's also what ends up bringing that scene you mentioned where they're fighting him and Don Cheadle's character are fighting. And uh, it's the, the whole, uh, you know, I lost my train of thought, but the, the whole like pretense of it is that 
T- Tony Stark is, you know, worried he's going to die. And so he's gives his company to uh, Stark Industries to his, uh, I don't know what they call Pepper, really. I mean, later it becomes his, you know, his wife in future films, but I guess his like assistant or his partner. Or I don't know. She's kind of something. Something. And the other thing about this movie, and this is completely aside from like the military propaganda, the just as a as a purely as a movie, because you said you gave it barely a star. One thing that I think fails in this is you have all of these characters that are part of a movie that's is a superhero movie, but isn't like a deep action movie like some of the later superhero movies. They don't really give you any all the characters are like kind of flat and crappy except for Tony Stark they kind of try and make him into give him like a decent arc but it just as purely a movie it just doesn't do it I don't know I don't know if you agree with that the issue the 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 fundamental core issue is that so comic books are fundamentally stupid (laughs) Um, I don't really read comic books but I've seen enough of them to know that like there's they pretty much do whatever they want. Um, they they have their little story arc, but fundamentally, there's a, there's MacGuffins or there's plot arcs that don't really make any sense. But they just want to do whatever they want with the character because it seems kind of cool. Because right. they're superheroes, it's supposed to be campy. It's not really supposed to be this deep thing. If there is a if there is a deep thing, it's like one story arc where they're exploring something, or it's like I haven't read Watchmen, but I've heard it's deep. Um, like it's it's a a specific franchise where the author is trying to de- deconstruct something, um, but on a whole, comic books are campy and they're kind of stupid. This is trying to be campy and it's trying to have a deep thing going on, and it's also trying to do some kind of weird commentary within a two-hour time frame, and it can't do any of it. In a sense, it almost makes more sense from a you know a viewer standpoint to like not bother with these kind of complex issues. And, you know, I I think the, it might've been better. I mean, still, it still has problems with just the way the military is portrayed, the way that Tony Stark is portrayed, all these different things we've already talked about. You could probably get away with doing all that and then just kind of skipping the pretext of there being complex characters, except maybe Iron Man, because the movie is, called iron man so you know it make would make sense to have that but like you don't really get any sense of what ivan is doing except for this revenge you know revenge thing and sam rockwell as this other military contractor elon musky kind of guy he's just doing whatever it takes to essentially make money and get a government contract and you know don Cheadle is following orders for the military like all these characters really aren't complex and they're they tried to make them complex and in failing, I think that really just kind of makes the movie itself be just kind of flat. Yeah. They, they like try to make each of them more than how you described, but by doing so, so like they try and they try and give a backstory to each of them for why they want to make money or why they want to follow orders or all of this kind of stuff or how they're, how Don Cheadle is having trouble following orders because he wants to be Iron Man's friend. But like, there's not enough time in the movie and it's also impossible because you're still centering the movie around Iron Man um, to have like eight different super complex characters. Like if this was just a movie about Iron Man confronting his mortality, uh, 
and then getting drunk and flying around in a suit. That kind of sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, it would be. It actually would be interesting. But that was not what the movie was. So, yeah, it uh, it it tried to do too many things and it was all laden with American government propaganda the whole time. One thing we, we that I forgot to mention that happens early when he announces he's Iron Man is there's actually like a small arc before the hearing where it's like a six month time jump, I think, where essentially Iron Man is credited for like creating world peace, like in quotation marks, like there's no conflict around the world because of this one guy in a suit, which on its face is just ridiculous. And two, it it almost compounds that scene with the the military. It's saying like, oh, well, if we have this suit at the military, we can be the ones that can be credited for world peace, which oh, yeah. is completely ironic given the fact that the biggest perpetrator of violence across the world is the U.S., which most people listening probably can realize or know. That reminds me of a, of a movie of like a DC movie that came out like a couple of years ago. I forget the exact name, but Joker kills Lois Lane and uh, Superman essentially becomes global dictator. And there's like a 20 minute super cut of him just like solving, quote unquote, solving the issue in Kashmir, solving the issue in Palestine creating world peace globally uh, <laughs> and they the the people who made it like don't show whose side he determines this stuff on so it's like they don't do like did he make a two-state solution well like what did he do um <laughs> but he becomes like global dictator and batman's like this is becoming very weird superman's like breaking into like teenage boys homes and killing them because they like beat someone up for yelling at them or something. Um, I think that was Injustice, I think might be the movie you're talking about. Injustice. Um, So like that's the, and that movie was kind of fun. So like that is the kind of campy version of this where they just focus on one thing of like, what if Iron Man did something without focusing on the characters themselves? And yeah, it, it just is ridiculous because how does, uh, how much time does this guy have to, <laughs> yeah. to solve world peace? Yeah. And what is it that he's doing? He just like shows up somewhere and like, oh, well, if this, you know, we can't do what we're going to do because he'll Iron Man us with his suit. Like it doesn't, it, it very much also gives the impression of like this individual savior of him, but then also just that the U.S. could be the savior of, of, you know, of democracy and heavy scare quotes. Well, it's also just this very American idea that, like, if we kill enough people, the strongest the strongest uh, empire will be the one to determine what peace is. Um, might is right kind of thing. So, like, Iron Man made world peace because he beat, it up, beat up enough people, kind of. That was even in Iron Man 1. Yes, right? He stopped yes. the whole thing in Afghanistan because he just beat up the bad guys. Yeah, he just kills a bunch of, you know, quote unquote terrorists. And then everyone's like, well, we, we kind of value our life. So maybe we won't uh, be terrorists anymore. We solve terrorism by getting rid of the terrorists. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And so th- and then the other thing that I was going to mention that's kind of slightly unrelated, but what, what then kind of brings the, the Ivan's character into the fold is that once he kind of has this display in Monaco where he has clearly the capability technology wise to build a suit, hammer 
hires him to work for him. He saves him from, you know, jail again, or I guess from going to jail again. And so he comes to America and is now working for his company to kind of create the, the invention that he will then take credit for, very Elon Musk-like. And that will, you know, solve everything. He'll get his, his, his payment. He'll get his government contract. Meanwhile, as we, everyone could probably assume watching this, of course, Ivan is going to not do what he is asked and use his, all of the resources he now has to eliminate, um, Iron Man. And so that ends up where we get to at the end of the movie, which is kind of like the, the final fight scene where Iron Man and Don Cheadle have to fend off all of these rogue, you know, Iron Man drone suits that uh, Ivan builds. And it's really the only major action scene in the movie. And it's decent. But as far as like a superhero movie with lots of action, it doesn't really have a lot of action. And that's another thing about the movie that if you're going to just make a silly action movie, you got to have some more action. So that I, I forgot to mention that earlier when you brought that up uh, before. Uh, this this was the first. So Iron Man one used practical effects and CGI, and this is the first of the Marvel movies that doesn't use any practical effects eff- effectively and only uses CGI. So I think the reason why they don't have a lot of action scenes is because the CGI sucks. It's the same reason why it pretty much everything is dark now. <laughs> Which I will com- I will complain to no end about. Oh um, yeah, but yeah, they, not they, just they, the darkness, but also just like the sound in a lot of movies now. You you probably also there's been articles yeah. written about this where like the dialogue, even if you're watching at home, you can't hear anything. Yeah, the sound mixing is terrible. It's a lot of this is because they want to save money and get it to the theater or get it on streaming, you know, as quickly as they can. We don't, that's a whole nother rabbit hole to go down. But I, I mean, I, I thought you were going to say that maybe the reason why there isn't as much action is not just because it's bad CGI. It's because maybe it's so expensive and it already cost them $200 million to make this movie. I wonder if, you know, they had spent more money, they could have made it better, but just. I don't know, early 2000s movies, mid 2010s, the CGI is terrible. Like all those uh, Transformer movies, they look like shit. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't necessarily saying it was bad. I, w- I meant more that like for the amount of money that they were, were willing to spend versus, right, the okay. amount of, w- versus the amount of time that they wanted to put into it. Um, okay. Like there's only so many fight scenes you can get out of it. Um, right. Because then, then you have shit like Avatar – avatar one or like star wars and those are like the prequel star wars where it's like all cgi uh like when they're not doing uh human only scenes it's like all cgi and that's a lot of time and money yes exactly and then they're also like testing the technology because you can see like a mark a huge difference between like 2008 2010 iron man and today even though the cgi today still kind of sucks It does. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole other debate. That's because on, they on don't those. want to pay the money to make it good. Because then you have like Iron, uh, not Iron Man, Avatar 2, where like the water looks more than real. Um, James Cameron really goes all out, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he invents technology to use in his movies. Like, I think the first Avatar and the second one, he invented the technology essentially to make the movies that he wanted to make, which Marvel isn't going to do that. Their, their goal, of course, James Cameron's goal is to make money, of course, but in the Marvel universe, it's even more pronounced where they're just cranking out these movies 
you know, like I said, there's been 33 have been released. I think, you know, by the time this podcast airs, they'll probably release another one. And, uh, you know, it's the, the, just the action. I mean, maybe that's also why in this movie too, as they really focus heavily on, you know, the, some montages of, you know, Tony building the, the collider to, uh, to split this new element that he's going to use to save himself and, you know, the party scene too. And we, maybe I mentioned early in the movie is that they're in this episode of like the comedy aspect. They really tried very hard for it to be this playboy guy, which is what Tony Stark is. And just having him just dropping lots of like one liners and little goofy scenes. And it, it's, we didn't really talk much about the script, but what, what do you think about just as a, from that aspect of it? Uh, the script is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just a bad, bad script. Um, yeah. Like in, in related to the other movies, it's not that great. Just as a script itself, it's not that great. Um, I just, yeah, it, it's not good. Uh, I, I, can tell that this is the movie where they decided to make Robert Downey Jr. Like they already decided it with Iron Man one. I'm, I'm aware of as like a timeline thing, but this is like, you could tell in the script writing, like this is when they tried to make him decided to make him like the center central personality of the yes. whole MCU where they tried to make him like the charismatic one. Cause they right. like, this is, this is when they announced the other movies and the whole MCU and you were going to have like, this is the narcissistic funny guy. Then you're going to have the hot Nordic hunk who's kind of stupid. And then you're going to have uh, the smart Bruce Banner. And then like everyone else is, has their own personalities and this is the funny guy. Um, so yeah, this seemed like they were just trying to get like a bunch of one liners to have very simple, like spoon fed. This is who he is without anything else really. And and as an as an aside, so the person who wrote the screenplay is Justin Thoreau and how he ended up on this as the screenwriter is that and John Favreau is the one who directed it and directed a bunch of these movies and is in it of course is that they had worked Thoreau and Robert Downey Jr had made the movie Tropic Thunder a couple of years before this and apparently recommended him to uh, to Marvel to to make this after the first one. And that became, you know, John Favreau is like uh, in, all over. He makes this, he wrote the Spider-Man movies, the Avenger movies, he's in them. You know, he really, his career is crazy if you think about him starting in like the movie Swingers and now he's making like the biggest Marvel billion dollar franchise. It's quite the, uh, quite the, the shift. But the to me, the script is just, it's actually not as bad when in, in those Avenger movies, when you have him as like one of the characters, but when he's the sole guy, as like you said, like the funny, eccentric kind of guy, it just, it's too much. It just, it's so thick and there's no, and then you have Hammer, who's also kind of like this, like he's the same personality. And then you have, there's no break from the monotony of the same, like repetitive jokes of like, women womenizer kind of and you know all the rich fancy stuff i have it's just it's just too much like that's that's the that's the big issue with this script too it's that like you have all of these people they're all flat what what exactly means that you're supposed to sympathize with tony stark over hammer over the villain besides the fact that we know that tony stark is the hero 
we get a sob story about how Tony Stark had a bad childhood, but we also learn that like the villain is literally the villain because Tony Stark's dad sent his dad back to Russia. And then because of that, his dad went into the gulag. So if anything, we should sympathize based on the idea that like we hate Russia and all of that kind of stuff. If anything, we should think the villain is the good guy or the anti-hero. Well, and so this is from this is from Wikipedia about like they have little blurbs on sort of what Robbie Downer Jr. kind of says about him his character Iron Man, and he says it's quote kind of heroic but really kind of on his own behalf. So there's probably a bit of an imposter complex, and no sooner has he said I am Iron Man that he realizes like what does that actually mean? And you're kind of in that sense like you're kind of meant to be like oh. He had a bad childhood, like you're saying. Oh, boo-hoo, poor, poor Iron Man, poor Tony Stark, who literally has the greatest tech, a billion-dollar uh, tech company or military company, as much money as anyone could ever need, and, like, you're supposed to feel bad for him. It's like, no, I'm sorry. I'm not going to feel bad for him. Yeah, and, and like, even, even just, like, taking, stepping out of my communist shoes for a second and just thinking of, like, from a person who consumes media... That's not just like a Funko Pop Marvel uh, uncritical person, but just someone who will watch this stuff and think somewhat critically. Like, why? Yeah, again, like, the worst stuff to happen to someone in this movie is not Tony Stark. <laughs> right. It, it's, it, it doesn't even have to be the villain. Like, it's literally just hinged on the fact that Tony Stark is the good guy, and so we should like the good guy. And that is kind of um, how the rest of the Marvel movies go after this. It's just the good guys are good and the bad guys are bad, and we're going to keep going with that. I mean, that's just the kind of way that I think politics is dictated by, you know, especially the military industrial complex and why they're so invested in these films is they can create that narrative of America is a superhero and we are good and everyone else is bad. So you have to, to do it. And they lay it very thick in these first couple of movies, Iron Man, Iron Man two. And then it just becomes a part of everyone's like, it's the zeitgeist is now that Marvel slash superhero slash America is the good guy, especially like Captain America. Oh God. Yeah. It just, it gets, it gets worse. And, and, and uh, you know, the, one of the biggest displays I think that I certainly want to, to mention is so after Tony is, you know, off saving his life, creating the, you know, the new element that his father had left behind, we now are at kind of like the last part of this movie, the last third of at Tony Stark sort of, uh, Expo, Stark Expo in New York and Hammer, his competitor is now armed with all of these new Iron Men that Vanko had created for him. And the military music playing in the background, the him like calling out all the different branches of the government and the the Iron Man suits like popping up through the ground, that and then even Iron crazy. Man coming in. That scene is just. Today, I present to you the new face of the United States military, the Hammer Drone Army. It doesn't get any more thick than that. It's so crazy. 
<laughs> and we just like we just accept that. Like in in like movies in the eighties, at least they were kind of subtle with the military propaganda. In this, they're like, we're not even gonna be subtle. We're just gonna lay it on thick. Like we may as well just like have a disclaimer on the screen that says like America good. Like red. Red Dawn and all of that stuff, at least that was like, they're coming to kill us. Um, like, they at least tried to pretend there was some fake sense of danger and all of that stuff. And this is just like, no, we're, we have just like a gun show going on. Exactly. And the one of the, actually one of the funnier scenes in this movie, I think the whole movie, is when hammer goes to the military and he's showing that they bring him in to arm the suit that they had stolen from iron man and he's showing off all the like the crazy weapons they have and the very last one he shows which is called like the ex-wife which is this bullet that will destroy the terrorists underneath the building that you already destroyed like he goes on this long rampage and then later in the in the movie in kind of the final battle scene they shoot it at ivan venko and it just like peters out and drops on the ground. And he's like, oh, it's because it's from this guy Hammer. It's a piece of garbage military. And it's kind of funny that they put that in there because think of how many failures that the military has as far as weapons they've built, airplanes and all these things, millions and billions and trillions of dollars that are wasted. It's actually accurate in the sense of all the money that we waste on a, on a weapon that's actually a failure. So I find that funny, maybe in the wrong way. I mean, I think it's funny that the military even let that be put in because right. like, <laughs> these are the people they work with on a daily basis. And I know people who like don't work in the military industrial complex, but like work in procurement for government. And like everyone is grimly aware of how much companies rip off the government for like buying and selling shit like pens or concrete or ladders or whatever the hell the government needs they'll just over oversell and overstate what they're going to give you and then they'll do exactly that yeah yeah aside they just is black hole yeah aside the aside from the misogynistic joke about it being the ex-wife or whatever the hell um yes like it's it's just because in a way it's also kind of a represent a weird representation of like you know lockheed martin and boeing don't exactly compete like this <laughs> No, there's actually laws that they can't compete like this and they don't on purpose, like try and steal each other's markets. They happily work on one thing that the other isn't. Unspoken agreements, if, if you will. Yeah. So it's it's very strange that this is like a very odd projection of what what the military industrial complex is and also kind of like a feint of what everyone thinks it is that there's some kind of like sleazy competition going on um which there is but it's not the way that most people think it is yeah yeah for sure and so there's actually one thing one character i haven't brought up that is in this movie for the first time in the marvel cinematic universe is scarlett johansson's character as natasha romanoff or black widow and i was reading some things about how this was her first appearance and of course they made a movie later black widow about her but she actually looks back on this movie and is not appreciative of the hyper sexualized version of her that they created where it's kind of like this female gay the gaze of her from tony stark obviously you know being very infatuated with her and it was really bad it it is really bad and i think they 
don't do this as much in later movies, just not of her, but just of the limited female characters they have, which is very few and far between within this. I think they really do her a disservice. I mean, we obviously are meant to think she's just an assistant. And, you know, if you're watching this for the first time, you may not have known that she was going to then become or be, you know, an undercover spy for S.H.I.E.L.D. and pretending to be the assistant. But they do at least kind of make her seem like a strong character, you know, in a kind of in like the one scene she gets towards the end where she's, you know, trying to find Ivan Venko and, you know, stop him from his uh, attempting to kill Tony Stark. But just her character is just it's it it still kind of sucks. I mean, her even even the later. So first of all, like every scene that she's in, it just like is a it's like a it's every scene she's in like starts with a close close up shot of her butt or something. And it's, it's, it's like incredibly distasteful. Um, but like every scene she's in, she's a sex object, very early two thousands. Um, yeah, for sure. That like Scarlett Johansson or some, just some other woman is only there for a sex object and this still exists. But like the early two thousands were like, especially bad. The last few weeks I've seen, I've watched like a movie or two from like 2005 and it's just like the gender politics were really bad for that time period. <laughs> really terrible. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, the, the couple women that are in the, the later Marvel movies uh, don't have the same kind of treatment that like this specific movie gives her. Um, and it's also interesting because uh, Gwyneth Paltrow doesn't get the same treatment. No, she's seen as kind of like the nerdy-ish person who's kind of like the brains behind the behind thing because she's, she's you know become CEO. She runs things. She's, she's smart. A, she's also kind of she's like the pseudo wife. Yeah, where, like domestic partner. <laughs> yeah, where Gwyneth, where Gwyneth Paltrow, where Scarlett Johansson is still conquerable. It's that it's it's the it's the whole misogynistic masculinity thing going on. Um, but. Uh, yeah, they Disney and Marvel just really screwed over Scarlett Johansson throughout her time. Yeah, they're giving her Marvel. the movie towards the end is kind of like a oh fine, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess it's been a long time. Yeah, for spoilers on you know the Avengers and how things turn out there. You know, if you haven't seen those, you can see how they treat her. And there's, they just have limited female characters in general, so the way they treat them is. It's pretty terrible. And uh, there's one other thing I was going to mention. There's actually a scene that if you go online and look up some of the deleted scenes, there's one or two deleted scenes where one is with Scarlett Johansson's character where he's like having her try on sort of the the glove. I don't know what the actual official name of the like the blaster on the Iron Man suit. And it's she's like super even more sexualized in that scene. And then there's another scene with Gwyneth Paltrow where she's in the foreground and the camera is literally just right on her ass. It is like, it's not even hiding it. Tony Stark is like puking in a toilet and it's right on her butt. And I mean, maybe it's good. They cut those scenes because I'm sure it wasn't for, because of its sexualization. It's just, they needed to cut this movie to to two hours, but to just to top on to the fact that they don't care about their portrayal of women, John Favreau and such. No, no. If anything, I thought it was a good thing. Cause this, this was also like, these early comic book movies, they were not marketing to like families. No, they were, they saw this as like a movie for boys. 
And it still <laughs> still is. And they get really big mad when, you know, there is a strong female character or a person of color is in a movie. You know, you can look at anything about the recent, you know, uh, Marvel, the Miss Marvel, the new movie, which includes a Muslim character. And the movie didn't do well primarily because, you know, white dudes who like comic books don't like that. They want to see a sexualized Scarlett Johansson. And that's. The woke mob has come for Black Panther. Black Panther, Little Mermaid, although that's not technically Marvel, just Disney. All of them. They just really don't like it when you uh, portray strong women or men that they would see as like subservient or whatever, you know. But that that's a that that could be a again, you could go down a whole episode on all the misogyny and all these Disney movies and such, but a, a topic for another time. But really, the end of this movie, we get, you know, Iron Man wins. He's the hero. We, uh, you know, the, you get the kind of the the end result is there is now a partnership between, you know, uh, Iron Man and S.H.I.E.L.D., where he's going to be kind of like a consultant. You know, S.H.I.E.L.D. needs the technology as well that Iron Man has. You kind of are teased the Thor in the credits. You're teased Avengers in the little document that's uh, – that, um, Samuel L. Jackson's character, um, Nick Fury, is showing him. So they really are using this movie as kind of like a hinge point to 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 build like the next phase of of of, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But I don't know. There, is there anything we we left that you wanted to comment on, Perez, about the movie or just the ending or, or really any of this? I mean, again, it's the ending. Spoiler is hero good, America good, Russia bad, terrorist bad. <laughs> Summed up. Yeah, that's the that's the summary. Don't go watch this movie. Go watch something better for two hours. <laughs> go watch like Godzilla or something. Um, but like, yeah, no, like the movie ends kind of, in my opinion, abruptly. It does. Like, it's just like, oh shit, I forgot to write the ending. Uh, all right, he wins, and he wins because, and we're gonna end it there. And I feel like that kind of set a precedent for a lot of the movies um, where it's just like we're going to have a lot of action scenes. They're cool because CGI and superheroes fighting. And then we're just going to have like uh, we're going to figure out how to have someone land a final blow and then have people win at the end because we need to have the good guys win. Um, Pretty much. The good guy finds a way. Exactly. There's no real stakes involved for any of this. No. And, and you know, if this was a standalone movie, they're just making an Iron Man movie or a superhero movie. And is this kind of like a one-off thing? You might get that. But because it's this gigantic franchise that they're building, it probably makes sense to have it kind of be a just, well, we just, we did it at the end because they don't want stakes. Like that's, that's, that's against the kind of the, mantra of the mcu and all of this is really just as we said dozens of times in the last hour is that the good guy has to win at all costs and every once in a while there's a bad guy that's really hard and you need to have two movies to defeat him it's it's the it's the sitcom formula that everything has to return to the beginning but in movie form and that doesn't work in movie form no no but yes so as so obviously So obviously you said not to watch this movie, right, Perez? You're saying, you're telling everyone not to watch this. Yeah, don't watch it. It's not a good idea. 
Watch it if you yeah. hate yourself, which I hate myself, so I watch it. Yeah, it, it's one of those things where if you may have never seen the, the MCU and you just want to torture yourself and watch 33 films and, uh, you know, God knows how many hours that is, you know, 70 hours, a couple, three, four days worth, you can slowly walk your, you know, work your way through them. I know, I know that like these are kids like these two, you know, they're kind of cheesy no thinking kind of action movies, but they're again, like you said, it's funny you mentioned Godzilla because I just watched the not the newest one, the just in the theater, but the the reboot Godzilla from 2014, which is also oh god, kind of a what do you oh well we won't go into that one. <laughs> That's a whole, <laughs> but I'm going to be doing a future episode on comparing that movie to the original Godzilla, the 1954 Japanese movie that actually had you know, something to say. There's lots of movies out there. And this is something I've actually been asking some other people and guests recently. Are there any other movies you've seen recently you might recommend to uh, to the listening audience? Uh, Lahane, Tokyo Story. It's a good one. Death by Hanging. If you haven't watched Death by Hanging, go watch Death by Hanging. I feel like that's an under-discussed film. So I guess that'll be my recommendation. It's, mo- it's not... Oh, man. I was just going to say, I'll put a big content warning on that, though. Okay. The, the gender stuff hasn't aged super well, but it's still a really, really good movie. It's interesting you mentioned uh, this is not at all related to Death by Hanging, but I just watched the movie for the first time, Death Race 2000. I don't know if you've seen that one. It's a very, it came out in the 70s. It's kind of a dystopian-ish kind of film with uh, Sylvester Stallone is in it. Um, it has a lot of uh, good actors. It's has something to say. You know, Marvel movies have nothing to say other than America good. So Death Race 2000 is one I would throw out there as one. Really all I got. I know, Prez, you, you talked about your podcast and everything going on there. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to, to share related to uh, the Mignon or anything else you're working on. No, not really. I'm on the Mark's Madness podcast right now, too, where we, we read uh, different books related to theory. So if that's your thing, we're kind of like an interactive book club audiobook. So we got that going, too. Put Mark's Madness and uh, the Mignon in the, uh, the notes so everyone can follow follow those. But Prez, thank you for coming on and talking about this, this terrible Iron Man movie. That was so bad. It was fun. <laughs> Discussing the, the, these Marvel movies, I think, is important just to give people a frame of reference who may have seen them and may understand that they're propaganda, but kind of diving into it, I think, is is useful. And um, you can follow, again, this podcast, you know, wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, you could subscribe in that location and uh, get no, uh, notified of future episodes. We have a series we're running now on, you know, kind of more historical deep dives into film. We did one already on uh, Citizen Kane. We have some coming out on Godzilla and uh, I'm not sure what else. I won't say what they are. But Press, thank you again. And uh, we will catch you all next time.